We've been in this series we just started last week. It's called Life. I asked you last week a question. And the question was, do you have life? Not do you have a heartbeat, not are you alive. There's a difference. Plenty of people have had a heartbeat, plenty of people have been alive and yet never really lived, never had true, lasting, abundant life. And yet Jesus, that's exactly what he said, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to bring you life and life more abundantly. That's what he promised us. And we talked about the best way to find that life is in knowing him more. Jesus said, if you'll obey my commands, you'll be loved by me, you'll be loved by my Father, and I'll show myself to you. I'll manifest myself to you. And so the thing that we're learning is the more we know him, the more obedient we are to him, the more life we can have because he created this life. Who better to know how we should live and the things that are best for the life that he's given us but Jesus? Got another question for you this morning. That question is, what controls you? What controls you? Now, some of you are going to be play the really good Christian, and you're going to go, Jesus, God. And listen, that's good. But even as believers, we struggle so much with control. Who's really in control of our lives? Sometimes you think it's you, but then you're reminded that you work all the time, that you never really rest, that you're working late at night, you're working on the weekends, and your kids are going, where's dad? Sometimes our work controls our lives. Uh, For moms that stay at home or dads that stay at home, either one, for you it feels like chaos in your home. I got to take care of these kids, I got to take care of this person that I live with, my spouse. I got to keep this house, it just feels crazy and it feels like it overwhelms your life and it feels like you can even control you. Maybe you have something a little more nefarious, a little little deeper issue, a little more uh, of an addiction. Man, I'm going to step on some toes here for a second. It's football season, right? And uh, for many of you men, you live from game to game, from stat to stat. From player trade to player, it's all you think about all season long. Or maybe it's a little worse. Maybe you have a different addiction. Maybe your addiction is um, alcohol or drugs or pornography. Maybe you're addicted to television. From episode to episode, you got to make sure that you stay up with what's going on in your show, right? We all have different things that we get addicted to. One of my things was approval uh, from others. That was one of my deals. I want to make sure people like me. And so what I would do, I, would, I want to take credit for things that I probably shouldn't even be taking credit for because I want people to approve of what I do. God's continually helping me to, to get out of that addiction and be confident in who he's made me without that sometimes. What about this thing in our hands that we just scroll on? That's not addictive, is it? It can take hours of our lives away every day. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these things. Another one of my issues is food. might be yours too. The thing about food is so hard is we celebrate with food. Yeah, let's go get something to eat. And then we mourn with food. I heard what happened. Here's something to eat, right? 
every aspect of our lives is food-related, or maybe that's just my life, I don't know, but lots of food in my life, and so it, it can become an issue for us, and it can control our lives. I want to remind you of Adam and Eve. <laughs> See, they hid from God after they sinned, remember? And instead of finding their complete, complete satisfaction in the giver and sustainer of life, instead of, of trusting him, they chose independence, right? They chose to forsake uh, relationship and dependence on him, and they chose independence, and they hid. They hid. They settled for shame. They settled for hiding. We talked about that C.S. Lewis quote last week, how um, sometimes ignorant children can play with mud pies in the slum when they've been offered a holiday or a vacation at sea. Well, the problem is it's fun to play in the mud, right? It's fun. It satisfies us enough that it's not that big of a deal to never see the sea. Of course, it's completely different. It's more, so much more amazing, but we, we find ourselves satisfied with the mud. And that's what we do as Christians. We find ourselves satisfied with something, but not all that God has for us, not the life that he intended for us. In our culture, it's, uh, it doesn't help our culture. We have amazing air conditioning, right? Lazy boys, 60-inch televisions. I love hot meals. It goes back to my food issue. Um, smartphones, right? Even, what about even just security and order? So you don't think about police or firemen or, or ambulances and hospitals. You don't think about those things until you're in a place that doesn't have them. All of a sudden, you begin to think about those things. You remember a few weeks ago, Jerry and I went to Cuba, and uh, <laughs> we had no more landed in the ground, on the ground, on the plane. We got in this old rickety van, and I sat in the very back. I, I, don't have a, I kind of have a bad back. I sat back there, and we began to go in this van, and I don't know what was holding the thing together. Not very much. But literally, we looked up at the dashboard. He was going over 100 miles an hour. And yeah, no kidding. And the van was, you know, and I'm thinking, this is it. We're done. And no shocks, and even worse, no seatbelts. And so then I also began to realize I have some idols of comfort. I didn't know a seatbelt was a comfort idol, but evidently it was because I was missing the seatbelt. I'm looking for things to tie me in. I, you know, I couldn't find anything. You don't realize the things that you miss until you don't have them. I started thinking, if we have a wreck, we don't have ambulance, we don't have police. What do we, you know, I started freaking out. The food is different. It's not the things that you might like. And I remember that, I'll, in fact, I'll never forget, the last night we stayed together in this uh, cinder block room, 100 degrees, 100 degrees outside, and they had a little fan. And we, I remember we walked in and we didn't say anything. We just looked at the fan. We looked at each other, back at the fan, at the ground. Oh, this is going to be a long night. It was the longest night ever. But I remember saying to, to Brother Jerry, saying, you know what, I can do a night because tomorrow night I'm in my bed. You see, trips like that are so important because they shake up the idols in our lives, the idols of comfort. They shake them up. And they make you realize how much we rely on things, how much comfort means to our lives. It also is good because it connects us to people around the world and what they have and what they don't have, right? 
allows us to begin to pray for those people, and it makes us grateful for what we normally have. I couldn't wait to get back to my air conditioner. It's 71 degrees the next night. I couldn't wait. This morning, we're talking about our second discipline in our life series. It's the discipline of fasting. I told Daryl this morning, speaking on fasting is kind of like seeing a, a wild peacock. It's, you, it might happen in the church that you talk about fasting, but not very much, right? How many of you have ever heard a message on fasting? Oh, good. Well, then we just move to something else. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever done a fast for spiritual reasons? Now, I'm not talking about you've got a colonoscopy, right, and you're supposed to go on a fast. I'm not talking about that. I mean, you actually have been on a fast for spiritual reasons. Praise the Lord. Good. I think, and I hope is even after today that we can learn a little bit more about fasting, that it can become a, a regular rhythm in our lives because God uses that discipline so much for us to focus on him. Anybody ever been hangry before? You know what the word hangry means? Oh, as many people as have fasted. What an interesting coincidence. Hangry means you're hungry, you're so hungry, you're angry, and you become hangry. Anyway, it has something to do with fasting, I'm sure. I've got five points for you this morning. Here's the first one. Why do we fast? Why do we fast? What's the purpose in our fast, right? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Love that. And guess what? He's not talking about food. He's talking about our hunger for God, our hunger for knowing him more, our hunger for serving him. And when we hunger for those things, he says, we will be truly satiated. We will be satisfied completely. Why do we fast? Well, because the reality is we hunger for a lot of things. We hunger for a lot of desires, food being a big one, that are not Jesus. We hunger for a lot of things that are not God. So when we fast, it really wakes us up. It wakes us up to our needs. It makes us extremely aware of, of all desires and all sin issues in our lives, right? It wakes us up, and it reminds us of what truly, completely satisfies us. The writer Richard Foster, who's written extensively on spiritual discipline, says this. He says, fasting reveals the things that control us. We cover up what's on inside, with, uh, inside of us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things come to the surface, it's certainly not a bad thing to feel good, but when we uh, must be able to bring that feeling to an easy place where it does not control us. So many attitudes strive to control us. Anger, pride, fear, hostility, gluttony, and avarice. All of these things and more will surface as we fast. It is a blessed release to have these things out in the open so that they can be defeated and we can live with a single eye toward God. I don't know about you, but... I don't like to feel hungry. As soon as I begin to feel hungry, I do something about it, right? We get a snack. Oh, it's time for lunch. The other day I was starving. It was like 1030. I'm like, Daryl, I don't know. We're going to have to just go early. I'm hungry. We got to make this happen, right? We left about 11. We don't like the feeling of being hungry. We don't like the feeling of being uncomfortable in any way. But it's one thing to talk about spiritual things and quite another, it gets really personal, and it gets really real all of a sudden when your body is beginning to kick back uh, natural survival instincts of food pangs. It, it's, it gets real. 
All of a sudden, all the spiritual talk becomes real because now it's physical and not just spiritual. The Bible says in uh, Philippians 3.18, Paul says that for unbelievers, they are ruled, they are controlled by their appetites. This is what it says. Philippians 3.18 says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their end is is coming to an end. It's going to be a a destructive end. It's coming. And their God is their bellies. That means that they worship whatever they want to do. Whatever they want, whatever their appetite says, that's what they do. That's their God. That's who they serve is their own belly, their own desires, their own appetite. And it says they glory in their shame. You know, there's so much going on, especially in social media right now. People are uh, holding up things, calling it truth. It's not truth. And I believe it fits into this context. What they think is their glory, what some of them are fighting for, that's not scripture, not, not the word of God. It's truly their shame. It's truly their shame. And it's because their minds are set on earthly things. One of the things I love about uh, fasting is just real simple. It takes the spiritual and the physical and it brings it together. See, my job is to talk about spiritual things all the time. And they're good things. Those are the, those are the things that truly bring deep and lasting and abundant life. But what fasting does is it brings our whole bodies into worship, our whole bodies into attention of who God is and what he wants to do. I love that. Dallas Willard, who's the writer and author of uh, this book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, we have a couple of copies left. They're 10 bucks in the back if you're interested. He says this, actually fasting is one of the more important ways of practicing that self-denial required of everyone who would follow Christ. In fasting, we learn how to suffer happily as we feast on God. See, as believers, Jesus has called us to deny ourselves and take up our cross, right? And so it's a regular occurrence that we have to learn to deny ourselves, some of our wants, some of the things that our natural body would want, our natural thoughts, leanings would be. We have to deny ourselves. And what fasting does is it causes a practice in our lives where we can be ready to deny those things. And truly feast on God. Practicing, is a, uh, practicing fasting is something that's gone on through Scripture, through the Old Testament, uh, New Testament, something we can do today. I want to share a few of these with you. Uh, Leviticus 23 talks about the Day of Atonement for the Jews, Yom Kippur. And basically what would happen is, is God was in, instituting a discipline, a yearly discipline on the Israelites. And the reason for this is so that they would be connected to their sin. They would, they would understand the weight and the seriousness of their sin, and they would take it seriously. And so he told them, I want everyone, man, woman, and child, to fast, an absolute fast, which means no food, no drink. Absolute fast for 24 hours. In fact, not just a fast of food, I want you to fast from everything of comfort. Sit on the floor. Put on uncomfortable clothes. Be uncomfortable for 24 hours so that you can truly be connected to the weight of your sin. And if people didn't do it, then they were to be excommunicated from the tribe. Now see, back in the Old Testament, God had to institute disciplines 
Now it's our turn. We have to place disciplines in our lives so that we can be connected to the weight of our sin, the price that's been paid for our sin. Uh, the prophet Joel trying to tell the people uh, of Judah that God's impending judgment is coming, right? J- uh, J- uh, Joel 2.12 says this, Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your clothing. He's saying God's judgment is coming. Let's fast. Let's seek the Lord. Let's weigh our sin. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. And I don't understand this piece of scripture because how could you not understand God, God is, is in above the mountain with fire and smoke. You couldn't make a mistake that that's not God, right? It's an amazing event. And they had sent Moses to represent them to the top of Mount Sinai. He had been with the Lord. In fact, he's coming down with two stone tablets that have the Ten Commandments. He comes down the mountain. He sees the nation of Israel worshiping a golden calf and all sorts of debauchery and sin. He is so undone that he drops the Ten Commandments and they they crush. And he immediately draws into a fast because he is so afraid that God is going to wipe them out off the face of the earth. And you know what? They deserved it, as we do. But he went into a fast, and he began to mourn and seek the repentance uh, for the people in Deuteronomy 9. Jehoshaphat, Nehemiah, Esther, Anna, all of them fasted for their countries, for their leaders, for the people of their countries. And we even see, you know, I love David. I don't know if it's because he's just a man after God's own heart or because he was a musician, guitar player, I'm convinced. Um, I don't know what it was, but I, I love the stories about David. And, of course, we know the story of David and, and Bathsheba. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant with his child. He then murders Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And the prophet Nathan comes to David and says, he tells him a parable about a bad man who's doing bad things with the hopes that David kind of gets the clue that who he's talking about, and he does. He's sharing this with him, and David says, David's getting angry. Who is this man? I will have this man's hide. I, I, who is this man? And then finally David says, oh, I'm the man. I'm the man. And then Nathan says, that's not it. That's not all. There's a consequence to your sin. Your child with Bathsheba will die as a consequence of your sin. David immediately goes into a fast over his sin, over the consequence of his sin. Different people fast at different times and for different reasons. Here's the second point. What is fasting? Uh, This writer of a book I've been reading this week, Scott McKnight, is a theologian professor. He says, fasting can be the most misunderstood of all the disciplines. Fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. I want to read that definition again. Fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. See, this is what he means. When we look at Scripture and we see the people who fasted, they weren't just fasting for something. That's honestly what's what I've done a lot in my life. When I've fasted, it's because I need God to show up. I need an answer. God, what, what, what job do I take? What school do I go to? Where should we live? I'm going to fast and, and pray that you get... Listen, that's okay, But that's not the trend we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is that fasting is a response to a grievous, sacred moment. Every one of these examples I've given you. 
David, when he found out that, yes, he's the one in sin, and yes, his son's going to die, he began to fast because of that sacred, grievous, awful moment. Not so that something would happen. I think in his heart, maybe he was praying as well, Lord, please don't let my son die. And you know what? His consequence paid, it paid off. I mean, his, because of the consequence of his sin, his son did pass. God didn't answer that prayer. All of these people, Moses, uh, all of these folks that I've just described, they all began a fast as a response. And I just reminded, as I, as I looked at this, how often we're just not moved. We may be a little burdened with what we see on social media or on the news. We may be a little burdened with the Houston flood, but then it just doesn't move us that much because it's not here. We're sad, but it doesn't, what, what do we do about it? It's a perfect example for us to fast. It's a per- and not for a, for a result, but because this grievous, sacred moment in our country, it's a perfect opportunity for us to seek the Lord with all that we are, with our whole bodies. You see, Joel was warning Judah, and it was Judah's response to that realization that they needed to fall on their faces in sackcloth and ashes and fast. Moses was burdened by the sins of the people, praying, God have mercy, but it was the realization of their sins that caused them to fast. Most of us fast for results. Most of us say, God, I need something, and so I'm going to fast. It's almost like we're saying, hey, God, um, I really need you to pay attention to me right now, so I'm going to fast. Will that get your attention? I was convicted by this, you guys, because the reality is sometimes we can try and manipulate God. He is not more in tune with you because you fast. He is not more aware of your situation because you fast. I think in my mind I thought it was kind of like this big red flag. Oh, there's Drew. He's got this issue. Oh, yeah, let me pay it. What's the deal, Drew? No. He is intimately aware of everything in our lives. When we fast, it's not uh, him coming to know a little bit more. We have to be careful that we're not trying to manipulate God. But instead, we have to fast so that we are drawn closer to our own sin. So that we're drawn closer to our own need, our own brokenness, and, and truly begin to understand our desperation in God. So here's the, uh, here's the model in Scripture. A grievous sacred moment leads us to fast. And in that fast, God chooses whether or not he gives us the results we desire. Right? There's no promise there. That's, that's the result. But sometimes we stop in the middle and hope that God brings the results. I thought that was interesting. McKnight says, if our fasting does not lead to growth in love and holiness, fasting can become hypocritical. Fasting is a response to a grievous sacred moment, and contact with the sacred ought to transform us. The rule to follow is a simple one. Fasting, like all the spiritual disciplines, is designed to develop love of God and love of others. If it's not doing that, something is wrong. Here's the third point. How do you fast? What does it look like when you fast? How do you do this? Well, the first thing we need to realize is our posture in a fast, it doesn't start here. It starts here. We have to turn our whole bodies, our whole spirit, heart, mind, soul, everything we are to the Lord. We have to seek him with our hearts. And as we seek him with our hearts, that should make its way to our stomachs. Our posture should be with our hearts first. Turn all that we are to the Lord. 
McKnight says fasting is what happens when a person yields the whole body, the whole person, body, soul, spirit, heart, and mind to God. And John Piper calls fasting a whole body hungering for God, a whole body hungering. Now, I don't know if you've done this before. I sure have done this. Sometimes it feels like we have some things might be out of control in our lives. You might go, you know what? Facebook is just out of control in my life, so I'm going to take a Facebook fast. Or you know what, I, just, I feel like I've just been eating too many sweets lately. I, I'm going I'm to do a sugar fast. Anybody ever done that? I've done that before. Things get out of control and you think, I'll just do a, a fast. The thing that, that I realized as I studied this specific topic this week is that's not fasting. The biblical example of fasting is specifically food and water. Abstinence of food and water. And there's a reason for that. When we, when we take kind of these little things and we choose to, to withdraw from them, it's called abstinence. It's still a good discipline. I still encourage you to, to have an abstinence in some of those areas that seem to be out of control. In your life. That's a good thing. But don't not fast. <laughs> we think, well, you know, I'll just do this and that will serve as a fat. No. God wants us to fast. Sometimes with food and water. That's the biblical example uh, of fasting. What do fasts look like? Here's a few that we can look at. A water fast, that means you don't eat, any, eat anything and you just drink water. A juice fast, you don't eat anything and you just drink uh, fruit juices or vegetable juices. A liquid fast means the same thing as a, a juice fast, but you can add soups and other liquids as well. A partial food fast, maybe kind of like what Daniel did. Remember what Daniel did? He said, I'll just do uh, fruits and vegetables. He chose partial foods for his uh, or his diet. Well, again, that's not a fast, that's an abstinence. A fast is when we go without food, without drink. Still a good thing. And then absolute fast is, is what scripturally a fast is. No food, no drink for a specified uh, time period. Now, the early believers, theologians think they, they fasted twice a week. And some of them think it was like Wednesday and Friday. They got it down to specific days. I think that'd be awesome, but the thing we have to understand is it doesn't have to be massive extended amounts of time. So you're going, Jesus fasted 40 days. I can't make it. I can't. Listen, that'd be a hard one. But even in Scripture, we see the early believers fasting at different amounts of time. Some of them fasted from before dinner until right before the next dinner, 24 hours. Some of them fasted from before dinner until just before breakfast or before dinner, you know, up until lunch. You can choose any meal. The discipline of fasting will work no matter what the situation is. The thing that's important, listen, if you choose to fast, and I hope that some of you will ex experiment with this this week. I hope that some of you will engage in this discipline this week. But the thing to remember about fasting is this. Connect with God. That's it. Connect with God. The food part is important. And it truly helps us to connect with God. But if you're not connecting with God, you're just not eating, right? Don't just not eat. The fast is something else. It's deeper. It's more spiritual. It is a connection with God. When we deny ourselves food, we're recognizing the seriousness of, of some sacred moment, of some issue in our lives that we need to deal with, and we give our total person, mind, body, and soul to be attentive to the Lord. Now, here's four things that you might want to write down, and I think they're on your card, actually. Um, that are very important when it comes to fasting. When you begin to fast, 
I mean, even today, some of your stomachs are beginning to roll a little bit, even just talking about it. When you start thinking about fasting, you start getting hungry. So here's the deal. When those hunger pangs hit, turn your mind on your physical needs to your spiritual needs. Turn your mind from what your bodily needs may be to your spiritual needs. Begin to pray about what's going on. And, and, and you know, somebody told me one time, when you fast and you feel those hunger pangs hit you, let that be a, an alarm clock for prayer. As soon as it hits, and listen, it's going to hit a bunch, which means you're going to pray a lot. As soon as it hits, just turn it to the Lord. Turn it to the Lord. Here's the second thing. Proclaim that you are satisfied by more than food, but by all that God has for you. As soon as that hunger hits your stomach, go, you know what, God? I'm so thankful that, that I, you are all I need. You created this body, and you are all I need, and you give me so much more than food. Here's the third thing. Praise God for the normal provision of food in your life and other provisions. This is an opportunity when that hunger hits to say, God, I'm so thankful for how you, you continually provide for my life. I, I, my body is feeling want right now. It's feeling need right now. And it just reminds me of how beautifully and perfectly you provide for me and my family. And lastly, number four, pray for those who regularly struggle with a feeling of hunger. We, we don't do this very much. I've got a friend who uh, is in Houston. And many times during the Lenten season, he and his family will choose to just eat rice and beans for 40 days. That'd be hard, wouldn't it? That's all they eat, rice and beans for 40 days. Do you know why? So that they can feel connected to the majority of the world that all they have to eat is rice and beans. It connects them to a people who are struggling with hunger issues and hunger needs, many of them starving. When you pray, when that hunger hits you and you pray for those people, it makes you more sensitive to what God wants to do around the world. I believe it with all my heart. Dallas Willard says, fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. Through it, we learn by experience that God's word to us is a life substance, that it's not food alone that gives life, but also the words that proceed from the mouth of God. That, that of course, comes from the story of Jesus' fast, right? Jesus did this 40-day fast. Let's look at it in Matthew 4, verse 1. He says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry well I guess so right verse 3 and the tempter came and said to him if you are the son of God command these stones to become loaves of bread but he answered it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God here's our fourth fourth point this morning when do you fast well, if we take Jesus' example, we know that we fast when the Spirit leads us to fast. When the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and he is leading you to this fast, and some of you may be feeling that even today for this week. It may be for one meal. Praise God. Press into what he wants to show you about you and about who he is by denying yourself food and drink. When are some other times that you fast? Well, I think it's appropriate to fast when we respond to things like sin issues in our lives. you got something going on in your life you know is a sin. You've struggled with it for a long time. Man, it may be a good thing for you to say, God, I'm going to fast. 
and I'm going to pray that you help me with this issue in my life. Would you please help me? But I'm going to fast, not just for the results. I'm going to fast because I have left you. I'm going to fast because I have said to my body, to my family, to the world around me that there's something else that satisfies me other than you. Sin issues are a good time to fast. Death of a loved one or even the diagnosis of an impending death. It's a good time to fast, to mourn, to seek the Lord. Impending disaster or disaster itself like uh, the hurricane and the flooding in Houston and South Texas. The lack of holiness that we see or love or compassion in the world. The impoverishment of others is a good time to fast. When we sense the sacred presence of God in our lives, he's doing something extraordinary. It might be a good time to fast and just enter into his presence. Or you might see the absence of justice and peace and love. It's a good time to fast. Here's the fifth point. There are dangers to fasting. Jesus gave us some dangers uh, so I want us to kind of cover these and make sure that, that we're careful when we fast. The thing about spiritual disciplines, not just fasting, when we get serious about a life in Christ, a deeper life in Christ, and we begin to place some of these spiritual disciplines in our lives as rhythms, as routines, one of the things that's dangerous is all of a sudden we can feel like we're super Christians. Look at us. I did, I did my Bible study this morning. Do you? I, you know, in my Bible study this morning, I learned that I... Uh, you know that guy? Well, that guy was in Scripture, too. He was a Pharisee, and he wanted to make sure that everybody saw the spiritual disciplines in his life. we got to be careful with any discipline that it, that it stays as an internal discipline, right, instead of us trying to make it external. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, uh, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, the interesting thing about this is Jesus is saying this, he's not kind of assuming that you might not fast. He's assuming that you will fast. Do you see that? That's important for us as we follow him and we love him to understand it's, Jesus expects us to have this discipline in our lives. But when we do it, let's make sure it's an internal reason why we're doing it, not an external one. Not so somebody can see it, not so somebody can be impressed, but that God would do a work in us. These Pharisees would walk around with gloomy faces, sunken faces, and, and, and they'd put their sackcloth on and make it look like, oh, well, that guy must be fasting. He said, that's all the reward they get. It's over for them. If they got some kind of... Uh, reward from people seeing that they're fat, that's all the reward they're getting. Instead, when we fast, wash your face, put on good clothes, put on the things that, that, that show you like you normally would, and let it be a secret between you and your father. Now listen, if we're married, there's some people that may need to know that we're fasting, right? Your, your wife, your husband are going to be like, what's wrong, right? Some of those people you can say, hey, listen, I'm going to fast for a little while. Pray for me. That's okay. But as far as, you know, the lady at the restaurant, none for me, I'm fasting. Maybe skip that kind of thing. We have to be careful also with playing games with God. <laughs> when it comes to fasting, we play games. I've done this. I'm, I've been guilty of this. I'm planning on fasting lunch, 
So I'm going to eat the biggest breakfast ever known to man. You know what I'm talking about? Or after you fast, we're headed to Chewy's. As soon as this fast is over, I can't wait to get over there for some chips and salsa. I can't wait. We play games with a fast, right? And really what the situation is, we don't need to play games. We need to let it be what it is, a connection to our Father, a connection to the Lord. Try for at least that season to let it be about the fast and about what God wants to show you, not about some games that you play. If all you've done in a fast is gone without food, you've not connected to God. You remember my friend Rob Hager, who was here a few weeks ago and preached for us? <laughs> he, he wouldn't be mad at me telling this, at least I don't think so. Um, when we were in college, I was a freshman, much younger than Rob. He was a senior. His kids are here. <laughs> uh, much younger than Rob. I was a freshman. He's a senior. Rob was fasting one day. I had never seen any believer fast. I didn't know what, what, is, what are you talking about fasting? And Rob was one of these guys that he, he lives what he believes and he did in college. He was going to fast that day. So he fasted all day. And I was just overwhelmed with how cool this was. So I go to his room at midnight because the dorm, you know, they shut the dorms down at CBC. I'm in his room. And we're just talking. I'm like, how's the day been? What's it been like to do this? He's like, man, it's been good. God's shown me so much. And he goes, um, hang on, i got to call Domino's real quick. <laughs> he calls Domino's at about 11.45 so that they'll be there like 12.01, right? When the fast is over, I'm going to hit pizza. And I'll never forget him eating a piece of pizza and going, I hope this doesn't change anything in the fast, right? It's so funny. That's what we do. We, we, sometimes we front load or we back load, but we can't play games with God. He wants the fast to be about the fast. He and I laughed about that. And it's something I do and have done before. Of course, it's always important. Listen, if you're going to do an extended fast, talk to your doctor. If you're going to go for even just longer than a few hours without food, please talk to your doctor. Because what's happening in your body is, is honestly starvation. Those, those hunger pangs is a survival instinct. And you need to make sure that your doctor's okay with you doing this. And as I close, listen, I just keep asking myself, well, why is this not used more? Why don't I do this more? Why don't I hear of people fasting more? Why don't we see this more in the church? You know, the, the reality is it takes drastic measures in our lives sometimes for us to connect to the Father. It takes drastic measures for us sometimes to wake up our hearts, to wake up our minds, to wake up our souls to what God wants to do. Listen, if you get the, the inclination that the Spirit is pushing you to fast, I encourage you to think about that. I encourage you to do it. This week, it, it just may be for one meal, but you will not believe the difficulty of it. You will not believe the, the focus your mind comes into. You will not believe the issues in your life that God brings out for you to address. And it will give you an opportunity to realize there's really only one person who satisfies Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. My, I'm convinced that when we fast, that's when we actually get our bodies and our minds and our spirits to a place where we actually can hunger and thirst for righteousness. At least for me, I seem to hunger and thirst for a lot of things, and it's only really in a fast sometimes when I can hunger and thirst for the things of God. Focus on who he is, how holy he is, what he wants to do in your life or in the world. Fasting is like saying to God, 
And it's not just the Lord, but it's also like saying to this flesh, God, you're in control. You're in control of my life. You're in control of my body. You're in control of everything, and I trust you with everything. Only the Lord. Only the Lord can satisfy. Church, we run from one thing to another that seems to control us. And we search for so many things just to fill this void sometimes in us. Only Jesus can satisfy. I'm reminded, listen, of the woman at the well. She was intrigued by Jesus when he said, you, you, you want this water, but if you drank from me, you wouldn't have to keep coming back over and over. She wanted to be satisfied. And Jesus was saying, listen, if you'll just drink from this living water, you will be satisfied. You'll never thirst again. What is in your life that seems to control you? And maybe it's time for a reset. Maybe it's time for you to say, Lord, everything I am, everything I have, everything in my mind and my soul and my spirit and my body is yours and yours alone. I'm sorry for thinking that drugs or alcohol or pornography or television or work or the chaos in my home or thinking that I can make it all perfect will satisfy because it won't. Lord Jesus, only you satisfy. Only you satisfy. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, this has been an interesting week thinking and praying through this and praying for our our people here because you've shown me this week so many issues within my own heart, my own needs, my own desires for other things than you. Lord, would you forgive these comfort idols in my life, these comfort idols in my heart that I, I, I go to them so fast I don't even think about it. It's not even a matter of consciousness. And that's why it's so important, Lord, for us to reset and take times of fasting and praying and discipline so that we can truly take in the thought in our bodies and our minds and our souls and our spirit who you are whose we are and what you have for our lives. Only you can satisfy. Lord, would you forgive us for trying to place anything else in our hearts because nothing else satisfies, only you. May we hunger and thirst for your truth, for your word, for the life that we can live in you. In Jesus' precious name.